0: So for example, I bought a property in 2010, and in 2016, so in 2010, I purchased it for 515. This was the first property I bought. In 2016, the value of the property was 1.6 million. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills? Or a newbie looking
1: to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real estate investing in Canada, with your host, Sarah Larby. As we are approaching the end of the year, it's a good time to reflect, look at your wins, look at things that you are struggling with, and figure out ways to make changes for 2023. One of the things that I'm going to be doing is promoting our very, very first real estate wellness and investing seminar. It's actually going to be a retreat on the resort that we are building, and I cannot wait. It's going to be July 12th. 13th and 14th at the Inspire Beach Resort. So if you are interested in information on that, send me an email, sarah at saralarby.com or you can message me on Instagram at Investor Sarah Larby. And uh, it's going to be a maximum of 40 people. It's going to be mostly on the resort. There's going to be a little bit of offsite stuff, but it is going to be a ton of networking, a ton of education, entertainment, good food, and uh, ultimately it's going to have a great setting on the resort so i'm excited phase one is going to be ready which is going to have three cottages and every year we're going to add three more so the first three cottages are going to have a different theme and uh, we are going to provide some accommodations as well off-site to accommodate everybody so if you are interested send me an email sarah at sarahlarby.com and i can definitely send you some more details on that And today's guest is Sahil Jaggi, who is a real estate investor, a realtor, has been featured in many magazines, such as the Real Estate Wealth Magazine, the REM, which is Real Estate Magazine, and also the Globe and Mail and a lot of other things. But we have a great conversation today. I hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to leave a rating and review. Thanks very much. Sahil, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Doing really well. Thanks for having me, Sarah.
1: I'm excited. We've, uh, we've connected on Instagram. We've connected many times, but uh, this is really, the, I think, the first time that we get to, uh, to speak live and share your story. So uh, first and foremost, maybe give us a 30,000-foot view of what it is that you do.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I started my real estate career about 11 years ago now, in 2010. I was an investment banker in New York prior to that. Uh, came to Toronto and, uh, you know, just like I literally got into real estate thinking of buying a property for myself. Uh, Being an economics major, I guess I got a little too deep into it while I was looking for the property on my own and sort of realized there was a good space uh, and good opportunity in real estate in Toronto. This is back in 2010 when obviously the world was completely different in Toronto. And when you say 30,000 view, like, you know, back in 2010, you could be on a plane and throw a dart in anywhere in Toronto and property now is completely appreciated no matter what you bought, where you bought. Yeah. So first property I bought was a small bungalow on a big piece of lot. Uh, I lived in the basement myself. I was with, I had $80,000 to invest and I, that I had saved up while working in investment banking. And I put it all into real estate uh, not knowing the closing costs, not knowing much with very little guidance and no family support. So for me, it was literally jumping with two feet without really knowing much. Uh, anyway, moved into the basement, rented out my main floor—a uh, term we call house hacking—and uh, you know had the main floor tenants pay most of my mortgage. And you fast forward 11 years today; um, just finished purchasing my 17th property, and uh, the business model surprisingly hasn't changed. Which is, I'm still purchasing uh, older bungalows in Toronto, uh, and you know 90% of my portfolio is comprised of uh, older bungalows in Toronto at the value of around. 23 million.
1: That's awesome. Congratulations. I mean, you know, starting with $80,000 and making things happen 20 to $23 million of assets. That is amazing. So the fact that you're still actually purchasing in Toronto and purchasing bungalows is actually also very interesting. So maybe walk us through, walk us through that because a lot of us, look at Toronto and we say it's too expensive. It's not going to cash flow. You know, what is the strategy and what do the number, are you able to share like the last deal, for example, what the numbers look sure, like you be did?
0: Happy. Be happy to. So uh, my numbers, uh, you know, the last property that I purchased was uh, and just closed in October 17th. Uh, basically again, small bungalow, 40 uh, foot lot, uh, basically those post second Boulevard homes that are Falling apart, you know, those that's my main strategy to purchase these homes Uh, came straight from an original owner. I purchased it for 1.125. Always everything that I buy with uh, are always gonna have a separate entrance. I think one of the main things when you buy in Toronto is it's very difficult to manage cash flows if you're only gonna rent it to one family. So strategically, I'm buying these bungalows that come with a separate entrance and have the ability to rent the basement as a separate apartment. And the numbers, you know, 80% financing. So we, me and my partner who I JB with, it's my fourth property with the same partner. Uh, we both purchased it. Interest rate was 1.69% variable. So fantastic interest rate. And the math was, uh, you know, including my 80% debt service plus property taxes and insurance, I'm about $3,300, or $3,400 cash outflow. And uh, upstairs rents for about twenty-five dollars to $2,600. It's a three bedroom, one washroom, uh, living room, small dining room, and a nice big yard. So it's a 40 by 120 foot lot. Main floor is renting for about twenty-five to 2600 Basement will need about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 of work. Uh, I am purchasing these properties and I'm not overspending on, on, on my rental. It's just what can I put at the max Sorry, what is the minimum amount I can invest into the property to get maximized rents? And in this property, you only need about $25,000. Surprisingly, in good location, Sarah, like people still respond really well to like original hardwood, older kitchens. It's mainly the space that they're buying, renting it for. So as long as it was a well-maintained bungalow, luckily in this one, we only had to spend $25,000. And we just finished renting the basement for about $1,600 and main floor for about $25,000, dollars That's on rent. Somebody's taking it from December 1st. So my cash inflow is about $4,100 and my cash outflow is about $35. i am still a little positive. The main goal for these properties, as you know, some people buy for cash flow purposes. Uh, my main criteria in buying these properties are where can I buy? What can I buy? That's poised towards some really good equity growth. And it's poised towards some good appreciation. I believe the area that I'm picking, the properties that I'm buying are mainly as long as they cover my cash flow and break even my cash flow. I'm buying them because I see some really good potential and really good gentrification in the area that I believe at 1.125 purchase price, these properties will do a lot better than market returns in the next few years. And I think strategy of purchasing detached homes today as you know, uh, and I can cover that, I guess, in in, in the next few questions, which is buying detached homes, small houses on big pieces of lot that also come with that upside. That in the future, if you want to hold and you want to build and you want to develop or you want to do something, they're just really good properties to
1: have. I have so many questions, but let's 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 go back to your inflow and your outflow. It sounds like you you added the the mortgage, taxes, and insurance, and then that's what you compared it to. I'm sure that you, as you said, because you're breaking even, someone's probably thinking, "Hey, that's like five or six hundred dollars or whatnot of cash flow." But there's you know your maintenance allocation, your capital expenditure allocation. If you're going to be, you know, having a property manager, there might be, you know, some utilities, uh, whatnot. There might also be some vacancy allowance. So your your net nets ultimately it sounds like it's it's break even, but that's not your strategy for cash flow per se. It's more for the equity piece, the long term piece. Um, and I think everybody should have at least two strategies: one for income creation and one for wealth creation. I don't think that you can get the same anymore in this market in 2021. Maybe back when you know when we all all started we probably could get both, but I think at this point there's there's two different strategies that we might have. And so it sounds like for you, you know, you might have had some cash flow, maybe better cash flow in the beginning, but now you're really looking at okay, how do you create that wealth? And it, And I'm just curious though, like, what is the end game? Like, are you refinancing these? Are you then redeploying the cash? Are you selling some off? Like what what is the goal of, you know, the equity that you're building?
0: Yeah, so it's a great point. And again, I think it depends on which stage of your career of real estate investor you're also, right? Like ultimate goal for, I think everybody is to create passive income and have enough assets. But in your growth stage, I think it's better to focus on properties that do give you that Really good equity return, because as your equity as you accumulate lower uh, sorry as you maintain a lower LTV in your portfolio as you grow and your equity accumulates, I think you are better poised to then put more into a property and create cash flowing properties as well in my portfolio. I currently have three properties that are basically that I bought at really good price points like six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars and now, I have very little loan left, and I've actually created two or three legal duplexes out of them. And those are giving me some really good cash. So, I do have a couple of properties that are meant to be giving me cash flow in the long term. Um, I am also full fledged development now. So, when I buy these properties, uh, at like, let's say, to give you an example, five years ago, I purchased three or four properties around that $800,000 level. Those properties today, after renting them for five years, are worth about 1.3, 1.4 because they've done really well in terms of their appreciation. I'm in at the point where I can refinance, put it in, into development and then flip them, right? And then take that big cash generation out and put it and redeploy it back into properties. Um, I do, I'm very sensitive towards maintaining a low LTV. And if you look at across my portfolio today, I have 50% loan to value in my, my entire portfolio. So I'm pretty conservative, as opposed to many people may think, how did you scale so fast? It was mainly because the properties that I was purchasing were strategically bought and they performed, outperformed the market, even by double digit. And and the market, as you know, has been performing really well. So if the market's giving you that average 13 to 14% return, the asset class that I bought in the location that I bought, they were close to about 23 to 25% year over year return. They did really, really well. So I think it's the picking the right property is very important to me and main focus of Is this property undervalued at the stage of acquisition? Can I add enough value in it to increase the force of appreciation? And then if I strategically hold them and they outperform the market in all three stages, you're gaining value and hence you're really doing well in its equity appreciation. You asked me my end goal. I think i want to develop more. I want to build more and I want to eventually be at a point where I'm ready to completely like, you know, I don't enjoy doing real estate anymore. I don't know when that will happen. Then I can have, you know, a really good set of portfolio that's just generating cash. And, you know, giving me some really good passive income. But at this point, because I am enjoying the growth, I'm going to continue purchasing properties and developing properties because I've also gained some really good interest in development. So I've built four or five luxury homes and now I'm scaling that business as well. I'm, uh, you know, getting into more land severances. Uh, The next project we're doing is, you know, severing two lots into three. And, you know, I'm learning that business quite a bit, uh, quite well. And it kind of just... uh, I guess correlates really well with my investment business. So the whole process is you buy, you hold, and then you wait for that property to reach a saturation point. And then then instead of selling it, you come and see, okay, is it better to refinance? Is it better to develop? Is it better to flip? And then I take it case by case. So that's kind of gives you the idea about what, what my everyday looks like.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause and share with you a financing tip that helped me scale my portfolio and can also help you as well. By working with Streetwise Mortgages, I took a strategic goals based versus a transactional approach to financing. And they've helped me develop a financing roadmap that aligned with my goals and gave me some crystal clear clarity on where the money will come from to grow, how to maximize my borrowing power, how to structure future deals and avoid some costly mistakes, saving me thousands along the way. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise and also very recently, they've offered an additional summary report of the best to invest 18 Ontario markets and also a comprehensive deep dive research into a market. Of your choice out of those 18, I highly recommend that you take them up on that offer. If you're looking to grow your portfolio, to book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's interesting because a, a lot of people think, oh, you know, like are people that are not cash flowing so well, are they overly leveraged, but you're saying you've got, you know, a 50% loan to value. A, I'm guessing that that's just from being in the market for a certain amount of years, yeah. having that mortgage pay down over time and the appreciation. And then you, you start seeing the, you know, the $600,000 houses that you you bought are probably worth 1.2, you know, in a few years, obviously we've had some good appreciation, how are you, I mean, these are not cheap properties, right? And and you've got 17 that you mentioned and it's cool that you're doing the development stuff as well. I'm starting to dabble in that, but how are you financing these properties being that they're hundred thousand $800,000? A, is it JVs? Uh, are you doing some strategic financing from potentially an umbrella corporation or something along those lines? Maybe share some secrets there.
0: Sure. So I'm also a real estate agent. So in the last six years, uh, you know, thankfully I'm focusing specifically working with investor clients, right? So 90% of the people that work with me are people who are also buying real estate for the purpose of investment. So thankfully in the last six years uh, as an agent, I've done really well and my income has like, you know, I'm I'm a diamond agent. So I'm doing really well. My income incremental has done really well, but there's no way I would have done this without joint venturing. So from the get go, like if you look at, my 17 properties out of which nine of them are under joint ventures and eight of them I now own outright, because that has taken me a while to be able to be in a position to buy properties 100% myself. So a lot of the scaling was with joint ventureship. Also, the properties that I buy strategically for the purpose of developing them, I usually find it a lot better to you know, hedge your risk by partnering with someone. If I'm buying a single family home, I never buy it less than 50% skin in the game. So I will always find a strategic partner, like a doctor or a lawyer, somebody who's a little bit more, wants a more passive role in purchasing an investment property and is very, very good with financing. So we'll open a corp, he will guarantee the corp. I always buy with an a lender. I have never touched private financing in my life. So for me, it's, I'm very comfortable going to and pitching the idea of a really good investment property to a guy like a doctor, lawyer, you know, my partner, who's, you know, with somebody with stable income, very easy for financing. Um, so, you know, and as long as the goals are aligned and as long as I explain to them the five-year plan, Hey, we're going to buy this in five years. We're going to, for five years, we're going to rent, it's going to support itself. And we only each come up with 10%. So we buy it always with that 80% LTV. And as the equity grows and we're in a better position to do what we want. So absolutely gen joint ventureships in the last three years, with the increase in wealth and, a massive increase in my income, I've been able to transition into private banking uh, with BMO and TD. Uh, And I think once you're, uh, you know, you're at a very good position where they, and private banking, I don't know if you have experience with them, but these guys really get into it, right? They want to see what your net worth is. They want to understand everything about you. And uh, last three mortgages, I've been able to get without any issues, a lender deals like variable rates, with BMO and TD without an issue. And I bought them myself. I didn't need to JV. And I have the power of refinancing and taking a line of credit if I need to.
1: All right, two really important things. Let's actually cover, I don't think we've done too much on that private banking because I think it is a really cool thing that most, well, most people will not talk about or tell you about, um, you know, unless you get to that that next level. Exactly. And then you oh, wow, there's this whole other banking thing. So let's talk about that. But I also want, before we do talk about private banking, how, like somebody's listening to this and they're saying, okay, well, doctors and dentists and all of those high net worth individuals are awesome. How do I find them? Where did you find yours? And uh, maybe just provide some insights to the listeners.
0: Sure. It absolutely takes a little time to build credibility. Like I've always been an extreme uh, support of uh, like, I've always supported the idea that if you have an amazing well-detained idea and plan, whether it's real estate, whether it's a startup, if you've got a really good idea and you have, you have to go out there and pitch, right? You have to hustle we've all been through the stages where, and when I say I partner with one doctor, it's also been that I've been in a stage where eight of them have rejected me and the ninth person decided to invest with me, right? You know, keep your deals clean in the sense that give them 50% ownership. I feel like a lot of people who feel like, hey, I'm the active partner, so I need to get more share. And it's, it's, I clean it, I clean cut it right down the middle. I say, look, like, even though I'm doing all the work, I'm coming in, I'm managing the property, I'm sourcing the deals. I am, uh, you know, And when they see a good track record, which you have built over time, people like that get very uh, comfortable working with you. Obviously there's, you know, I share my business plan with them to the detail and it's, you know, luckily I'm at a point now that as I have grown my portfolio, as I have enough credibility and success in the last six, seven years to show, uh, it becomes a lot easier. Right. So where you I can get a lot
1: of referrals as well. Right. I mean, and you probably just have to find that first one. And then the first one tells the friend doctors, just like investors, we find it like something really cool. We tell each other, or a great contractor yeah. we, we share, you know, as much, as much as possible. So I'm sure they're going to do the same thing, but you know, I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. for example, you know could somebody go to galas or different part like different things to to immerse themselves into network with those types of people like you know are, do you have any insights on how to find them like if somebody is really starting from scratch where yeah. are they are they finding these people with the ability to be passive because you don't want somebody to be in your deal if you're the active partner to the extent that they're picking the flooring and they're picking all the colors you want them to be passive you want them to be busy but you want their financing and you want their their money without having to, you know, answer to every single little tiny detail uh, throughout the project.
0: People really underestimate the uh, the, the appetite for real estate in the city, especially with the last ten years. How you know, real estate has really been a very hot topic in Toronto. I think there's a lot of appetite, uh, and there are a lot of people that want to get into real estate, but they don't want to do the work, and they don't want to. They want a very hands-off role. Uh, some networking events, even the networking events that, for example, that you guys hold, you know, I have a guy who's now partnered with me, is working in my office. And uh, when I told him about like, you know, coming on the podcast with you, he's like, of course, I've been to one of her events and I met a lot of good people. And you know, he told me a whole thing about it and he was very excited that I'm actually on the podcast with you. So events such as that, where you go and meet like-minded people and there's, and you know, you reach out to Facebook groups. Like for example, my ads sometimes will go on a Facebook group, which is targeting into like doctor groups. And like you said, once you know a doctor, reach out to people in your family, physiotherapists, chiropractors. These people have a lot of income, a lot of stable income, and you'll be surprised. They have actually no idea what to do with it. There is a lot of money in Toronto, especially with professionals. Who, are, who have the appetite. And that's why I think you see so much money go into pre-construction. And I, I don't know if you've listened to some of my previous videos. I'm not a big fan of pre-construction. I don't have a single money in pre-construction because I think it's a very lazy way to invest in real estate, right? Not to, I'm sure there's people who are doing well in pre-construction, but I think it's very speculative. So it's, and I think if you have a good idea that you can pitch to these people and explain them, that there, there's so much more value-add in resale, in properties like you buy that need the work, need the forced appreciation. It's just a matter of making it simple, having it down to the detail of being cross-questioned and hustle and keep taking meetings, keep reaching out to people because with such a hot topic, you're bound to hit people that will at least sit down with you and listen to you for 10, 15 minutes. And being rejected by people is not the reason to give up. If your idea is good, it's got merit, it's got value. I don't think that you know, eventually you'll hit the right people. And like you said, if if it did have merit to begin with and you've done well, the referrals will come in. And that's like any other business. So yeah. if you've done enough research and you attended networking events, like the ones that you have listened to enough podcasts, there should be enough to put a business plan together and then go out there and hustle and meet people. And like I said, sir, I came here when I was 17, I attended Laurier and I went straight into business with no family support. So I wing this in 2010, got through a lot of mistakes and rejections, and then eventually built the credibility. And then I was able to have the wheel turning.
1: Awesome. So great insight. The only thing I would say about pre-construction, 99% of the time, I agree with you in the sense that I think a lot of builders out there are providing opportunities for the end user person that's going to move in not so much the investor so from an investor standpoint there's very very few developers that will do it but i do know a handful of them that will actually do something that makes sense for absolutely investors it's- and i think that's the difference you got to figure out is the developer builder making something for the end user person or are they doing something for and, and i'll tell you very very few will do it for the investor or you find them
0: that's yeah, they're, they're spending millions in their research, they know how to hedge their prices today. Uh, and I think again, like I understand for those people who have limited budgets to go into resale market today, or you know, they don't have stable income, they just started a small business and they want to get into real estate. For some people, that absolutely makes sense. I'm talking about people that you're trying to JV with, like the doctors, lawyers, and the stable income mm-hmm. high net worth people. If they're pouring money into pre construction, it's just because they don't have enough good ideas on the table, yeah, because the smart way of doing real estate and to really scale a portfolio if you're in it for the long run is through resale. It's through properties that you buy, like cash flowing properties, multi-units, not pre-construction. It's a very lazy way of investing, I feel.
1: (laughs) And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors. On this week's episode, I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel. From White Elm Design Build. And Robin Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on oakville to hamilton and beyond but they're really great like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to facetime or video call rob or joel they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project. The reno part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's gonna cost and what renos are gonna be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly, They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Or you can send them an email, joel, J-O-E-L, at white elmdesignbuild.com or rob at white Elm good luck on your next projects now back to the show awesome so let's go back to the banking because there's different levels of banking can you can you share i guess you know what the different levels are and um when you decided to go to that next round why you can still and how you can still have bmo and and so forth give you mortgages. Um, even at 17, 17 properties?
0: Sure. Uh, again, until the last two years ago, like in and around when COVID hit, I actually no idea private banking even existed. It was through one of my clients who had JV'd and four properties with, and I went back and said, look, do you think you can get another financing and we can you know, buy another property? And again, we both are putting 50-50 down payment. Everything is exactly 50-50, but he's the financing partner with the higher stable income that like such as like a doctor where, banks are very comfortable. And he introduced me to private banking because he started taking loans from private banking. 2010 to 2014, when I was up to my fifth property, uh, regular banking was very good. A-lenders was good. And this is the time where mortgages also were being handed out a lot easier than after, I think, post-2015 and 2016. There was a period between 2016 and 2018 where there was a little bit of slowdown in my purchasing because I hit a wall with financing. But uh, levels of banking, you know, you go to, first you try and go to a lender banks, like the four big banks and a lender deals from like, let's say home trust and credit uh, credit trust and all these other places. Uh, Once that's been exhausted, you go into a JV. And if once your net worth is at a certain level, there's a different banking department and every bank's called private banking in which uh, I guess a representative is allotted towards basically screening every single thing that you have. How many assets do you have? How much money you have in your bank? What has your last two or three years of income been like? And I think a different set of rules apply to those people, which are a little bit in the high net worth uh, bracket. And they, you do go through an extensive pre-qualification to be working with private banking. Well, once you do, you get one-on-one service for that person. They have a little bit more control with the credit department and, the, and their bank or underwriting department at their bank. And in which uh, they'll be a little bit more better with rates. You can start getting more mortgages. You can buy more number of properties with A lender rates. And that's my experience with them. Like I think it's last two properties I bought, I was shocked because I felt like with eight properties under my personal name, there's no way I'm going to be able to go get my ninth, right? Because I'm maxed out and I have to work with JVs to be able to grow. But private banking explained to me that if you have an X amount of net worth and you have this much money in your cash and you have this much LTV in your assets. They're a little bit more, uh, how do you say it, uh, sophisticated in the way they will look at a client and assess their risk to be able to qualify you for private banking. So this only applies to a little bit more, um, uh, high net worth individuals. And if you are in occupations like doctors or lawyers, or I keep saying those two professions, but I don't want to pigeonhole myself, like even like banking or, you know, a different, set of people, then I think you'll, you'll be able to see that there's a lot other as different departments of banks that will assist you with this kind of financing.
1: Yeah, and I will say for the most part, I don't think a mortgage broker would suggest this. Cause it, you you likely have to, unless, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you'd have to go to the bank directly, have that conversation with somebody at the bank specifically. And that's a relationship aside or in addition from working with your mortgage broker for the other stuff, the other strategies, the other financing strategies. I think, you know, when you say you know, BMO private private banking or Scotia or RBC, I mean they all have their branches. I think you have to go directly there. And then the other thing is because I remember having conversations with them as as an option as well. They don't want only real estate, right? And so they want to see that you've got like opportunities for them to take your like stock investments and invest them and that kind of stuff as well.
0: Yeah. They want to assist you and they want to introduce you a whole different, like, you know, every aspect of banking, like like you said, stocks, bonds, and you will see that there's that uh, push in them to like, Hey, I'm going to help you with mortgages, but have you also explored this? And there's that higher level of soliciting going on, but
1: yeah. And I, but I will say that, and that kind of turned me off because I'm because they're like, oh, well, you know, like let's put some of this stuff in like. And I like to do a lot of my stuff by myself. Right? You like you're basically going to give them. them, yeah. Yeah.
0: So there is a little bit of higher levels of soliciting happening, but you know, I, I so far I've been able to uh, bait them by saying like, look, I have all this, and I'm going to help you. I'm obviously interested in working with one-on-one, and honestly, the working with them has been very seamless. Like I have been in situations where I have not got my mortgage approved till the day of closing and I've been very stressed and blah, blah, but private banking is very, very, seamless. So for anybody with who is getting to a point where he's purchased a lot of assets and your LTV is well, and you feel like your credit is good and your net worth is higher, they should absolutely explore private banking because it's a whole different world and that I'm blessed enough to know about now. And I'm pushing a lot of my higher investors to say, look, talk to this person, he's in private banking and boom, all of a sudden they've intake that client and you get, yeah, you can go ahead and buy four or five properties, no problem. You're good to go. And they'll give you that approval upfront. And imagine that ability to just go and say, okay, you know what? I can go buy two, three properties and I've already got the approval for it.
1: Yeah. And you also don't need to worry so much about your T4 job or your income. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of asset-based like I was talking to one of them and I think they could like do like a blanket mortgage over, you know, a handful of, of properties as well. So they're like fairly strategic. I mean, you could do that without going to private banking. Through also them. very
0: aggressive in your renewals. Like they want to know every single property when it's coming for renewal and they'll reach out and be like, I know you have a mortgage with this bank renewing on X amount. Do you also want us to take that under your umbrella? And I've given them a full Excel sheet. And I'm like, these are my properties when it comes to renewal. Give me a good rate. And I would love to continue working with private banking because I felt like it's a complete game changer.
1: Do you have a preference like between Scotia BMO or RBC or another one?
0: I'm a little biased towards TD. Uh, also, I feel like uh, BMO has been very aggressive in the last few years, especially with private banking and commercial banking, because I also have uh, a mixed use commercial building that I own with two other partners. That's a little bit more on a commercial side. Um, and BMO is very aggressive, very good. I have not worked with Scotia and private banking or even approached them yet. And I don't like RBC. <laughs> that's just, I don't like banking with them.
1: <laughs> hey, it's all, it's it's all very good. We all, yeah. we all have our own preferences. It's exactly. Just kind of like yeah. I've heard people... You have a bad experience with one. A couple of
0: bad experiences one. just turned me off. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the development piece. You know, I think that's exciting. Can you can you share? I think you said you, you're you bu- like buying and, and building some luxury properties? What is that play? Is that you're just building and you're selling? Uh, You know, what does that look like?
0: So I'll break this down. Like you have the acquisition phase, you have the holding phase, and now you have the disposition phase, right? A property goes through a full, like if I'm purchasing a property with a view of uh, most of the joint ventures that I will do, they're purchased for like if, when, if, and when the property saturates, the goal is to at that point, either sell as is, add some value and sell as is, or develop and sell but it's usually that five year or six year period when the property is approaching. And I feel like the area and the asset that I invested in has really maxed up. I I don't think that there's further growth left. This is when I'll start thinking about my disposition, right? So back in the day when I was purchasing these properties and you know, I was in that. So for example, I bought a property in 2010 and in 2016. So in 2010, I purchased it for 515. This was the first property I bought. In 2016, the value of the property was 1.6 million, right? So you already gained almost a million dollars. And then when I, and I decided to sell it, I said, look, I might as well cash in 1.2 million, reinvest it into real estate, you know, multiply, go into a more area, which has more potential to grow rather than stick with the saturated neighborhood. And when I did that, I realized that the people who bought it were all builders because the area had, you know, you have these little homes, like small, 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 then you have that big house popping up And then all of a sudden in six, seven years, when the area is gentrified, you have more majority of these new homes and you have these little bungalows left. And all of a sudden you see the price of those bungalows go up. So I decided at that point, like these builders must be buying it at these prices because there's a lot of room for them to still make money. Right? So I started looking a lot into like these, how much is the cost of construction if I was to build these homes and whatnot. And I felt like it fit really well into my model because if you are able to add value at every step of that transaction, which is if you buy a property just a little below market value at the acquisition stage, then you add just a little bit of money into it to maximize your cash flow in five years. And now at the disposition level, you can do really well with your cost of construction. You can be a really smart developer and you can build this. Then you can be a really good salesperson by adding marketing flair into it, staging into it and sell it at a premium. Now you've added little value in every single stage of that buying and holding and, you know, uh, the market doing well and you picking the location perfectly. And there's enough validation that that new house is selling for X number of pricing, you walk away with a good profit. And that kind of got me into development and it's been fantastic. I think my passion was just, I was just just about to get bored with real estate and then development came in my pocket and now I love it. So I'm actually in the office. We have an in-house designer now, in-house architect, so I'm learning a lot about zoning and what we can do to build houses. How does committee of adjustments work? And that whole thing was like a new different world. Uh, it's super exciting, I'm, we're only building modern energy efficient homes in Toronto, which obviously is getting a lot of traction too. Last three or four luxury homes that we sold completely beat all prices in the neighborhood because of the attention to detail we put into our design and the energy efficient aspect to it. And really understanding spaces Uh, how we can maximize and you know how COVID has changed certain things. So all in all, as you can see, I'm very excited. I want to try to say everything in one line, but I can't get it out. But overall development is a very good next step for someone who is wants to be in real estate and really want to maximize their cashing out of a property when they're selling it. So really anybody who's an investor and they're at a point where they feel like the property is not growing much and they want to look at in the selling stage, Get into development. Try to understand how cost of construction works. It's a great learning experience. First, or one or two times, you might hit a lot of roadblocks. But once you've understood how a house is built from scratch, now you've got a whole new set of skills and a whole new understanding about even assessing older homes on what I can build in this house in the next five years. Now I buy property with a different angle. Now, can I? Is this good for cash flow? Is this good for development? Is this location good for gentrification? And what can I possibly build in this home in the next five years? And does that fall into my uh, criteria? So it all just falls into, it's all interconnected.
1: That's cool. I mean, look, it's fun. You can definitely make bigger mistakes, more costly mistakes but i think the the profit could be a lot greater as well so it's uh, you know it's it's a fine balance and and definitely your team i know you mentioned architect and you mentioned you know different people you must have a team that has done this especially if you're getting into real estate development for the very first time it's not yeah. as simple as a conversion or a burr or a buy and hold you know you can make a lot of mistakes very quickly that can cost a lot of money so please hire a team that has a lot of experience Absolutely. in what you're trying
0: to do. I learned that I feel like every mistake I made is always very costly and that just engraves in me to not make that mistake later. I think a good way to mitigate your risk in your first development is definitely buy and hold and have enough room I call it the room to screw up right so if you buy a property for 800 wait for that 800 to become 1.1, 1.2 million. So even if you screw up your first project, you still have that room to like not go into losses, but just recoup enough to like walk away with costs. Because the first project I did, I had no experience, zero experience. I just did it. I'm, I'm going to build a 3,000 foot home here. And even if I screw up, I'm going to just cut into my profits enough because I had seen appreciation into that home. But for me, it was like, okay, so I'm doing a $200,000 mistake and that, but I'm walking away with a whole, new learning experience of building a home and I ended up doing well in that property. And I, you know, I still think that experience was just gold because now I can add so much value for people who are buying property for the purpose of building and whatnot. So
1: that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Adding more to your resume
0: pretty much as a salesperson at the same time, learning something else in real life. Well,
1: there's probably not a whole lot of realtors out there that have the experience that you have and also the ability to give some insights on building and likely share your team for the Toronto region anyways, if somebody is interested in doing that. So I think that is a ton, a ton of value. Sahil, so one of the things is, uh, the lightning round. I mean, we could obviously keep talking before, 45
0: minutes already. I feel like we just, yeah, time,
1: time <laughs> flies. So I'm going to ask you five questions and you're going to give right. me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes this week's lightning round is brought to you by megan chomut if you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you you can reach out to megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free, customized, individualized 90-day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right, so question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Is it really bad to say I haven't read anything in the last
0: four years and I'm drawing a blank. No, uh, but okay, Gary you know what? That's Keller, your, that's I think your the,
1: answer. It's good. Gary
0: Keller, Gary Keller, the uh, okay. art of, art of uh, I think it was called something about how to run a brokerage. It was super interesting. It nice. taught me a lot about team building and talks a lot about scaling.
1: All right. Very cool. And you know what? I don't think that there's anything wrong. I mean, like you did, you did your research in the beginning, you read and and you probably listened to many things in the beginning and then you executed. And I'll tell you, you learn the most by executing and doing right. And so it's uh, learning from others, but awesome. Question number two, this doesn't have to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite podcast?
0: Uh, I would say Andrew Hines. uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Other than that, Uh, you know, I've listened to uh, Tony Robbins' podcast. I think the guy is a complete master when it comes to like talking about different topics and he's very old school and I love his way of like, you know, just the whole approach.
1: All right, awesome. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate?
0: Travel, a lot of travel. So I'm like a travel junkie. I love to travel. And for me, real estate has given me that ability to take the freedom to travel as much as I want, uh, obviously minus COVID. But yeah, it's my absolute favorite thing to do.
1: Awesome. Just curious, where's your next go-to place on your list? Colombia. All right. Very nice. <laughs> I have some friends there right now, actually.
0: So yeah, I'm Dying to go.
1: Nice question. Number four, if you lost all of your assets, all of your money tomorrow, how would you start again?
0: Probably the same way. I think, uh, you know, easier said than done, but I think I'm very confident with the ability now. I think my biggest wealth is my knowledge today. If I were to, I think the reason why I take a lot of risks today is I can still go out there and take a very risky decision because I'm not afraid to lose all of it because I've started from nothing. And based on the skills I have and now all the wealth of knowledge I have with the experience that I've felt in real estate, I think I can, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'll be fine. I think in the next 10 years, I'll probably do even better. I'll probably start without making much mistakes. So it won't take me long.
1: Awesome. Very good. Last question. If somebody has $50,000, they want to get started, how do you think they can spend that money best?
0: So definitely start with, uh, you know, $0, keep that $50,000, but go into like listening to the experts, uh, you know, such as yourself and you know, other experts, which doesn't cost a dime. But other than that, you know, get into, I, I think anybody should be getting, if they're not very good at sales, I think there's so many training lessons out there. Because the minute you find the knowledge and the minute you have a skill and the minute you have a great idea and you don't know how to sell it, I think it's one of the most priceless possessions you will ever have. So spend some money on yourself learning how to sell. Uh, and then with the balance, you know, look for creative ways to get into real estate through joint ventureship. Look for properties in the GTA. There are some amazing, amazing areas which are doing really well, slowly getting out there as population is increasing and things are pushing more and more out. Uh, find a JV and get into investing with him with the balanced money, but definitely spend money on how to sell ideas, learn how to like really be able to say, once I have a good idea, I'm ready to sell it.
1: All right. Very cool. Thanks for playing the lightning round. Where can the listeners reach out and find out more?
0: Uh, I think mainly on Instagram, my at mink real estate, simple one word. Uh, and other than that, if you Google me, there's different platforms where we can see my website, see my other videos, stuff like that. So you can either Google my name, Sahil Jaggy, or just go on at Mink Real Estate on Instagram.
1: Amazing. Sal, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for the insights and congrats on your success.
0: Thank you so much, Sarah. And congrats on your success too. us. always, I've been following you and it's absolutely amazing to see other investors. And thank you for taking the time to really go out there and really, really, you know, genuinely trying to help people by giving so much value. I'm guilty because I I don't have, you know, I I don't take the time out as much as I should to like go out there and give value to people. So really hats off to guys like you, who are really just taking their own time to like giving experts, the knowledge that they should. So people who are getting, listening to your podcast, you're very lucky. Listen to every single word because she takes a lot of time to source the right guests that come on their podcast and ask the right questions so that you can get the knowledge. So thank you for you, for your stuff. But you
1: do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called RISE and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster